We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome back to the Morning Grind, all you Roto-Grinders out there. This is Dean still filling in for Stevie. Of course, Stevie is busy knocking out his NASCAR content. If you guys want his NASCAR content, you know where to get it here at rotogrinders.com. That said, today we're talking some golf. We're bringing in uh, currently, I believe, the number 14 ranked here at Rotogrinders as far as the golf-specific rankings. TJ Lasik, one of the uh, newest members here at our RG as well, doing content around the Rotogrinders world. What's up, TJ? How are, uh, how are things in your world? Hey, Dean. Thanks for having me on today. Things are going pretty well. Excited to talk some some golf here. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on as well. Uh, and also, I do want to mention, we were talking about this, this pre-show, uh, going forward, yourself, I believe yourself and Tambo, you're going to be doing a lineup review show. Uh, I, I imagine this will be on Rotogrunners and YouTube as well. Tell the people about what that is. Yeah, definitely. So every Monday, I'll be hopping on with Tambo doing a, a bit of a look back on the previous week. So we'll take a look at some of the bigger tournaments, look at the winning rosters, kind of dissect their player pools, uh, do a, a little bit of analysis of our own lineups and why we selected the players that we chose to select, good results, bad results, and just talk about more of a, of a process standpoint, what we were thinking, whether or not what we thought actually came to fruition. Hopefully we'll be reviewing some good lineups more often than bad lineups, but uh, yeah, it should be good. I think it, it's, it's an important thing to do. Also, we'll not just look at the winning lineups themselves, but also the players that had the winning lineups. What, what did their portfolio look like? How many times did they enter the tournament? What were their exposures? That kind of thing. So definitely recommend checking it out on Mondays. Yeah, and then, and then oh, yeah. go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say I'll also be doing a, a new article weekly for the premium content, just a, a little bit of a value breakdown, talk about some roster construction things and some of the cheaper plays that I like for each week. The uh, the pressure's on. I don't know if you know this, but today's article uh, just released as far as the value specific, as far as the breakdown, it's free this week. So this is, this oh, you got to be clutch. Uh, the people <laughs> yeah. are going to say, well, you either nail it and then all of a sudden get premium. And you know, there's no, I'm not trying to put any pressure on you, but uh, you know, it's a, it's a big week for you. First time out there. Let's see. <laughs> Hoping they go well, but we will find out in, in a few short days. First impressions are very important. Uh, just let's take a peek back as far as last week. Of course, uh, you were supposed to do the show with Tambo this week, but the scheduling issues, yada, yada, yada. It's going to be uh, the first one's going to debut next week. Uh, and again, that's going to be free using the results DB tool and all sorts of kind of looking back and seeing what mistakes were made, what mistakes weren't made, deconstructing winning lineups, yada, yada. Uh, but what are your thoughts as far as the previous week? I just pulled up your RG page and 
in the $3,100 buy-in, looks like you cast it on that. I'm not sure if that's a single entry or not. Uh, how did things go for you last week? Yeah, last week went pretty well for me overall. It was, it was looking like I had a lot of potential heading into the weekend. My golfers didn't do quite as well on Saturday and Sunday, but profitable week overall. I had my regular main lineup that I played in all of my head-to-heads, 50-50s, and all the tournaments. And then I also had a, a secondary tournament lineup. So both, both of them cashed across the board, pretty much just a min cash. So nothing too big, but any profit is, is always a good thing. And yeah, just an impressive showing from Bryson DeChambeau coming in as the six to one favorite and living up to it. Very, very impressive showing what he's doing out there right now is amazing stuff with the way he's hitting the ball. I think he's averaging like close to 350 yards off the tee, which is just unheard of. Uh, did you order like a, like 60 cases of all those shakes that are he's drinking and you kind of stock it up <laughs> as he have you persuaded in, into his new uh, eating regimen? Yeah. Maybe I need to bulk up for the sake of my own golf game here. It's like <laughs> the, the shooter McGavin scene from happy Gilmore where he's practicing the, the happy Gilmore swing. I think one of my friends tweeted out that they just picture all the other PGA tour golfers watching Bryson and, and, and doing that in their backyard, trying to figure out how the heck he's hitting the ball so far. Yeah. Uh, and by the way, shout out the cards, uh, SDL cards in his, uh, in his article last week in the expert survey, he was saying that the, his pick for his most contrarian play is uh, I think the guy who put a second wolf. Uh, so yeah, wolf. Wolf, yeah I, my best lineup had those two guys on it. I don't know. Uh, I, I, we were talking about this pre-show. I make it very clear. I'm not a golf expert in any sort of way, shape. I just kind of follow the RT content and, you know, fire away. And, uh, you know, I, five of six, I guess was good. Six of six is really hard to get. Sometimes I suppose that depends upon the week and it depends upon how the chalk may or may not do. But uh, one of my five of six lineups actually did cast pretty well, but uh, you know, for my, I'm not firing a ton. I'm not playing in the 3,100 with you. <laughs> I'm just dabbling and having a good time until you like basketball and baseball reps. But uh, all right, as far as this week, well, it's what we mentioned uh, you know, before the show, you know, uh, DeChambeau was at 6-1 to one last week. Uh, looking at the Vegas odds, uh, the biggest favor right now is Justin Thomas. He's 11-1. to one. Cantley at 13-1. to one. Rahm at 13-1. to one. Uh, uh, Brooks Coppa, 15-17 as well. A couple other guys as far as Scheffler. Uh, wait, it, did I mispronounce that? Xander Scheffler? Xander Schaffle. No. Matsuyama I got, but Scheffler kind of threw me up for whatever whatever reason. There is a golfer. There is a Scotty Scheffler. So maybe you're confusing the two of them. That's what's going on there. Yes, that does sound good. Scotty Scheffler is a a lower-priced guy, and then Xander Schaffle. So So we don't have a clear-cut favorite. Well, let's let's ask this. As far as this course, uh, what are we looking at? What kind of of, uh, shooters do we want? Yeah, so we have an interesting situation for these next two weeks where we're actually going to be playing the same course back-to-back weekends, oh. which I'm not sure if it's the first time it's ever happened, but it's definitely not a regular occurrence. So this is the course that the Memorial is typically played at. Now they're going to have some slight variations between how the course is going to play this weekend compared to next weekend. I think they're, the greens are going to be rolling slower this week. They're also taking the rough down a bit. So next week we'll have faster greens and thicker rough also a stronger field so it'll play a little easier this week than it typically has in the past which I was originally thinking that this weekend may not be as much of a birdie fest as we've seen the past three four weeks here but I'm coming around to I think we're going to see around a 20 under winner again similar setup in terms of wanting to target 
ball strikers, guys that are are hitting fairways off the tee and and good on their approach shots. I think that's typically the golfers that I like to target regardless of the course, but this is another one where we're going to want to look at those guys. And then I'm also looking a little bit at around the green stats, seeing that historically these greens can be a little bit more difficult to hit. Now that that may not be as much the case with the setup that they're having this week, but that's a, a second or third stat that I'm taking a look at, but ball striking is always King. I tend to gravitate towards the players that hit the ball really well off the tee and on approach and then can be hit or miss with the putter. So we'll be continuing with that strategy going into this weekend. Uh, course history, anybody kind of jump it out to you? And, or how much do you care about course history? I don't really know. I know some people weight that differently than others. Yeah, I wouldn't say that I'm one of the course history truthers by any means. I definitely take a look at it usually more as, as like a tiebreaker. I'm debating between two guys. I'll take a look at their course history. For me, it's a, a supplementary stat. I will never play somebody just for course history reasons. But if I like a play and also they happen to have good course history, then great. I think Patrick Cantlay is one that, that falls into play here. He won last year at the Memorial. He's probably my, my favorite play across the board on both DraftKings and FanDuel. And I think that he's got a, a great shot to win and is someone that, that I'm definitely looking at and has some good course history here. He's the uh, third most expensive golfer on the board at 10600 on DK. Uh, Thomas and Rahm are just above him, Kopka. And uh, Chappelle? Well, I can't get that name right. Is it Chappelle? Is that right? <laughs> Chocolate. Well, just man, go with Xander. Just say I, Xander. I call him, is there easier. another Xander, though? Is there only one Xander? Nah, he's the only Xander. I'm going with Xander. That's so much yeah, easier. Yeah, go Why with can't Xander. I pronounce that? <laughs> I've been exposed as a golf rod. Um, yeah, so Xander and uh, Matsuyama, uh, as well as Rosen and Hovland, kind of down there. Uh, it sounds like that the Cantley is he your favorite amongst that bunch as far as the most expensive golfers. Yeah, I, I would I would put Cantley in there as my number one guy among the group. I think I wrote about this in in my article as well a bit, but. One of the most important things in, in any DFS sport, and of course in golf as well, is roster construction and, and understanding the right way to build a DFS roster. And so I think we, we have an interesting situation where if you look at the first three weeks that we had since the restart here, we were looking at very loaded fields in terms of talent. We had a lot of the top golfers in the world out there. And when that happens, you tend to have a lot of really, really good golfers that are priced in, say, the 8K range on DraftKings. And that would just kind of naturally lead to a more balanced roster construction being optimal. And then you look at last week where we had a really weak field and only a few elite golfers, in particular Bryson DeChambeau. And that is where you saw a lot of the popular and optimal roster construction being to play Bryson at the very top and then find value around him. This week, I think it's a, a bit of a mix between the two. I think you'll see a lot of rosters where you're playing two guys in the 9K and 10K range and then finding value after that. At least that's the way that I'm looking at things right now. So I like Cantlay. I like Hideki. He's always a guy that, that I'm on. Matsuyama, another classic ball striker that can't putt, which 
I torture myself with on a weekly basis. And then Justin Rose, I think, is a nice value as well at 9,700. But, I mean, from from Victor Hovland at 9,500 up, it's, it's hard to find a fault with any of these plays. They're all very good golfers, and any one of them could go out and win this thing. So you're not seeing it definitively as a star scrubs or a balance kind of somewhere in the middle is what I'm hearing? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, I guess it's a little more stars and scrubsy. I think when we get down into the 8k range, I think there's a lot of people that have popular names, but aren't playing all that well right now. I mean, you have your Matt Kuchar, Gary Woodland, Jordan Spieth, who I never play, Sanjay M. I, there's just not a lot that I'm personally loving in the 8k range. And so that drives me more towards a build of taking two guys up top and then looking down into the 7k range where I think there's a lot of different options and it's really kind of hard to differentiate between what the best value plays are. But I think from a construction standpoint, and again, with the way I play, I'm playing a lot more cash games, small field type tournaments. So my advice may not be best for the millionaire maker, for example. I know you have to go crazy off the board in a tournament like that. But if you're trying to build rosters in an optimal way, I think that's what we're looking at here. Two high-priced guys with a mix of value after that. Yeah, a couple of things. Uh, lineup construction is, is very important. We probably don't talk about it enough. But like you said, uh, the millionaire maker, once again, is back this week. Two and a half million as far as the total prize pool. One million up top. Obviously, super top-heavy. And like you suggested, uh, it might behoove you to be a little goofy, go a little off the radar, and not be super chalky if you want to take that down. And I guess you play – do you play one main lineup, like your big cash lineup, you throw it in everything else, so you're also a, a three lineup guy. I, I'm pretty sure at least I'm sounding – it sounded like that you're not a guy that's going to roll out 150. Maybe you are, and, of course, that's a different strategy. But how, how do you make lineups? And how many do you make? So I've been – I always make one lineup. That is, is my main optimal lineup. I I don't really like to call it my cash game lineup just because I don't know. I feel like when people say cash games, they're trying to build this like <laughs> super safe lineup. And that's not really my style either. Like I, I want to me, if you're building a cash game lineup that you don't feel can win a 500 or a thousand person tournament, then you're not building enough upside into your cash game lineup. So I, I take one main lineup, my optimal build, and then I've also been rolling out a secondary lineup that is usually a, a similar construction, but it'll, I'll do a, a 2v2 or a 3v3. So that's what I'm looking at here. I'm not going out there max entering 150 lineups. If I was going to do that, I would probably do it with a very tight core. I would probably take three or four guys that I really like and go way overweight on those guys. 50, 60, 70% putting them in my lineup. And again, just hoping that those guys hit and then filter in plays around them. But it all depends on your risk appetite, right? Like I have gotten comfortable with having bad weeks where you lose a lot of your buy-ins. But I think that when you keep a tight core, it also maximizes your upside when you are right. And to me, that's what this game is all about. The times I'm right, I want to get paid for it. If you go uh, just one in five, like one winning week and five losing week, you can still be a winning player is the point you're making. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So can't get too caught up in being scared to lose, I guess. If you're, if you're playing, you know, scared money don't make money kind of thing. I've really come around to that mindset when I think about DFS. 
not necessarily a guy like Wolf, but I mean, the way, the way that Wolf was described last week, he was seen like kind of like a boom bust player, a boom bust golfer. Uh, now, is that somebody you're willing to play? And again, just the sort of the concept in your cash game lineups now, taking on that variance, maybe, you know, so many play, golfers that are quote unquote safe and so many that are not necessarily safe and high variance. And it, or it's just sort of dependent upon like how the build is that week and you don't have these definitive rules. That's a great question. So I didn't, I personally did not play Wolf last week, but he was definitely in consideration for me. And I have no problems playing someone who may seem boomer bust in my quote unquote cash lineup. Yeah. I just think that it gives you so much upside. And I mean, the other thing is we've seen these past two weeks, less than 5% of lineups are getting six guys through mm-hmm. the cut. So yes, you want six of six, but if you're, if you're building a lineup scared of one of your guys missing the cut, I hate to break it to you, but most likely you're going to have someone that misses the cut. So I prefer to focus more on which top end plays do I really, really like and prioritizing those and then finding a way to make the rest of the lineup work from there as opposed to saying oh i need to play this 7200 dollars golfer instead of a 6800 golfer like the variance between any players in that range is going to be extremely high and i'd rather prioritize which of the top end guys do i like and think have a chance to get me those birdies get me those finishing points and help really carry my lineup Five uh, percent of lineups—is uh, that an outlier? Is that a small sample thing, or like, is there sort of a general number? And it obviously, depends upon how the chalk does. Depends depends upon the salary. Is it loose? Is it tight? Uh, what's the general number? Or is it like it's just you really can't say that because it's dependent upon too many other factors as far as how many get through uh, from tournament to tournament. Six of six. I'm not sure if there's necessarily a general. I would say probably five to ten percent is around okay. normal. I. It really, it really depends on how the chalk does. I mean, if somebody that's 40% owned misses the cut, obviously many, many six of six lineup hopes go out the window. Yeah. But yeah, it seems to me in general, if you get six of six through the cut, you're pretty much guaranteed to have like a very good week. Even if you have six golfers that don't place that well, you're going to make money and probably three Xing plus. If you have five of six, you can usually have a profitable week. That that was my situation last week. Got five of six golfers through the cut, a lot of min caches or two and a half X my money caches. And then once you get down to four of six, that's where it really depends on the week. Some weeks, if a lot of chalk is missing, four of six can be good enough to cash double ups, maybe even min cash some tournaments. But if it's a week where all of the chalky guys have made the cut, four of six might, might not quite be good enough. I also Digging. think, Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. 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 I just had You're this good. thought. You're good. Go I, I also think that the, the different, so they made a slight change in the cut for golf between last season and this season. So it used to be top 70 in ties make the cut. And that has now come down to top 65 in ties. And that doesn't sound significant, but it really can be because I think it was two weeks ago where the cut line was minus four and like minus three was T68, right? So there you're looking at a whole block of golfers that if it was a year ago, they would have all made the cut and instead they're all missing the cut. So I think that 
while it may not sound significant that moving from top 70 in ties to top 65 in ties has really made it that much more difficult to get six guys through the cut. Uh, amongst the most expensive golfers, you talk about liking Cantley. He's the one that sort of jumps out for you right now. Uh, who's the one you least like, the one you're least likely to have on your lineup? Now, again, we're recording this on a Tuesday. You reserve the right to change your mind. You, you'll have content later on in the week, yada, 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 all the uh, – just throw that out there just in case you have to land on this guy. But as of right now, uh, Tuesday afternoon, who's the one that's least jumping for you? I haven't had a ton of interest in John Rahm this week. For, for some reason, I, I, I've just never been – quite been a John Rahm guy. He, I like consistency, and to me, he's more of a boomer bust. He can go out and te- top five one week and then miss the cut the next week. So, Don't you embrace that, though, he always has. Yes and no, but, but he's always going to have ownership because he's a big-name golfer. Okay. I just – in some of the larger field tournaments, I could see him being a play. But, I mean, coming back from the reset so far, miscut at Charles Schwab, 33rd at RBC Heritage, 37th at Travelers. For someone that's pretty much the maximum price, he's just not really catching my eye. But, like I said, he, he could go out and win this weekend and I also wouldn't bat an eye at it. And I definitely have – have some futures bets on him. Like I know I have a bet out on him to win the masters. So he's maybe that, maybe he's a better guy to bet to win than to, to play in DFS because he's so boomer bust, at least relative to some of the other more expensive golfers. The, uh, the low, low, low nine K's high eight K's who's jumping out for you. I like Victor Hovland. He's playing really well right now. Another guy that's, Really good striking the ball. Been, I think, one of the best in the field on approach. Let's see, taking a look now. Yeah, so since the restart, he's made the cut in all four tournaments, 23rd, 21st, 11th, 12th, so top 25 in all four tournaments back so far. And, yeah, in terms of strokes tee to green, gaining 5.7, 6.1, 10.6, 9.6. So, He's really getting it done in terms of his T degree game and his strokes gained approach. And he just, he struggles on the green. So he's a, a guy that I've been playing and will probably continue to have my eye on. I think he, he's a good one. Colin Morikawa, I was on him early this season. He's faded off a bit. Another guy that, that strikes the ball really well, but he's like, really bad around the greens and really bad at putting almost almost too much for my liking which is saying a lot but I think he'll get some traction and I think he's a fine play Ricky Fowler I'm just not really a Ricky Fowler guy I just I never find myself playing him I think that he's you know I I like Ricky Fowler seems like a great guy but I think I think he's pretty overrated in terms of name value versus his actual abilities as a golfer at this point in his career, at least. You had those guys you just don't like. You don't like Fowler. You mentioned before you don't like Spaeth. Is I mean, at some point, though, from a DFS perspective, you have to consider if it makes sense from a, uh, a lineup construction and all that kind of stuff. And it's an interesting sort of balance to work out, I suppose. I, mean, I don't want to speak for you. But, I mean, if, if Fowler was like 7K you're rostering him, I assume, 
Oh yeah, for okay. sure. There, there's always a tipping point. I just, I feel like those guys that have that name recognition are just kind of naturally overpriced, right? If somebody who has never played DFS before goes ahead and looks at the names, they're going to recognize Ricky Fowler. They're going to recognize Jordan Spieth. And they're going to think, oh, these guys are great because they're the guys you see when you turn on your TV. You see Ricky Fowler wearing all of his orange on Sunday. But when you take a step back and, and look at the underlying stats, they're just not quite what their name value brings. And yeah, I think I think that that naturally, sure, if Ricky was in the, the low 8Ks, then you have to start considering him. I mean, I think actually maybe two weeks ago, he was like 8,200 or something. I still, still didn't apply him, so... It's funny you say yeah. that because uh, Phil Mickelson is like, as, as somebody knows very little about golf, I see Phil is, I'm like, what happened to Phil Mickelson? He's seven, eight. Didn't this guy beat Charles, uh, with, no, the Tom Brady? Who did he beat? I don't know. Was he a part of that? Tiger? Or he's in the yeah, side? Yeah. I don't recall. But like, he, he was good as last time out where I think he was very, very cheap. Um, yes, he was. What's happened to this guy? Is he not just not good anymore? Is he old? Yeah, I mean, he's just, yeah, he's just, he, he's just past his prime. He... Doesn't hit fair. I mean, I think Phil was always a scrambler as a golfer. He was never a hit the fairway, hit the green, two putt or make birdie. He was a spray it into the woods, make some ridiculous shot around a tree onto the green (laughs) and make a miracle birdie putt. Like that's just always been kind of Phil, obviously, as he's gotten older in age, I think his game has certainly deteriorated a bit, but he's always going to have that Phil magic somewhere. So, but uh, yeah, again, another guy that that I don't find myself playing. Yeah, I think two weeks ago he was in the six Ks, which is just crazy for Phil Mickelson. And and I lo- I love Phil. I think he's awesome on Twitter. I I think he's a great guy, great for the game. And who knows? I, I could see Phil maybe winning a tournament again, but. It's a long shot. Uh, some guys a little bit more expensive than, uh, than Mickelson. That's kind of sort of popping as far as the very early ownership projection. Uh, the low eights we're seeing Hadwin, uh, Woodland, uh, Neiman. Any of those guys going to jump out for you? Have a favorite amongst that bunch? Yeah, that's an interesting range for me. So when I first looked at pricing, I saw Matt Kuchar at 8500 And my first instinct is he's a great play that's a great price for Matt Kuchar he's he's a good golfer good solid golfer but he just hasn't been quite getting it done as of late so I kind of came off him a bit but I still think that he's a fine play Woodland is in a similar boat where he first stood out to me as feeling underpriced in this field but again he's had some difficulties since the restart I played him at the Travelers, and he he played horribly, missed the cut. His last two outings, he lost 4.2 and 3.6 strokes tee to green, which is usually his bread and butter. He's usually one of those guys that is solid off the tee, great on approach, and, and struggles with the putter a bit. So I could definitely see going back to the well with Woodland. I mean, really, Kuchar, Neiman, Woodland, Hadwin, I think they're all – solid plays i'm not sure if they will fit my personal roster construction because i don't know if i'm gonna like i i would probably want that to be like my third golfer in but 
I think they're all good plays. Let's talk recency bias from both perspectives as far as positive and negative. Uh, Wolf sees a price jump all the way up to 8.1K, and he was a guy that was in the sixes last week. And then I don't at least maybe this is me. I don't, I don't know if this is you as well, but uh, the one five of six, Snedeker. I had Snedeker in too many lineups. That dude just tanked for me, uh, and it was popping for a lot of people. He's down to 7.6K, not expected to be highly owned either. Uh, how much do we care about recency bias? How much do you factor that in as far as uh, filling out your lineups? The Matthew Wolf, that, that might be the most extreme price <laughs> jump I've seen. I mean, he was 6,800 in a field that was significantly weaker than this. And now he, he, he gets one good showing and jumps all the way up to 8,100. I mean, that's just, that's just overpriced. That, to me, I, just, I, I, I can't understand that one, and, and I, I would have a really difficult time myself clicking in Matthew Wolf at this price. I think that he does have upside though. I mean, as he showed last week, shot two rounds of like eight under, but had a tough time on Sunday. I mean, you probably haven't seen, have you seen his swing? He has the craziest golf swing you'll probably ever see. I've not seen it. I saw uh, some guy swing and miss. Uh, I can't, you know what I'm talking about? Uh, Yes. Okay. I saw that and I was like, yeah, that, that looks more like my golf swing. And like that dude's a professional. I don't know. Uh, I don't know if he was messing around or if he was being serious or not, but they were talking about blaming it on his caddy or something like that. But uh, yeah, well, well, what's uh, what's Wolf swing like? So he, he does like a little, I don't even know how to, he does like a quick, like back and forth with his body before he swings. It's, it's really interesting. Never seen anything like it, but it's extremely unconventional. And I just wonder, I, I guess I could see how, that swing leads to a streaky golfer because yeah can't it's not the most stable golf swing right some golfers you just watch them and they have great pacing on their swing it's a smooth swing it's a steady swing but with him i could see it be you know it's either going to be a really really good shot or if something's off the ball could potentially go anywhere so definitely a guy to keep on the radar for the future i think for me, once he's back into the low 7Ks, he's a guy that would be a great tournament play almost any week because he has that upside. But he's also a guy that misses cuts pretty regularly. So at 8,100, I, I would take a pass on this on this week and wait for that price to come back down. Snedeker, yeah, he had a tough time out as well. He's not a guy I typically pay because he's – He's more of a short game and putting specialist. So when he's going low, it's because he's doing a good job scrambling around the greens and making some putts. So Snedeker is probably more of a like when he's a really, really cheap value in a strong field and you're just looking for at a difficult course maybe and you're looking for a guy that's going to grind and make a cut. But when it comes to these birdie fests, he's not somebody that I'm particularly keen on. And in general, when you ask about recency bias, I would say that I'm more likely to, if somebody has a bad week, I'm more likely to wipe that out. If a good golfer has a bad week, I'll forget about that, not worry about it and play him. But if a guy who's not historically all that good has a good week, I'm not going to jump on him just because of one good week. And I think you see that a lot, right? Hideki Matsuyama is a great example. Two weeks ago, he made his return, 
or maybe it was three weeks ago. But he, either way, he made his first return, came back, missed the cut. And then last week, he's sitting in a weak field at 10,000. And for some reason, nobody wants to play him just because of one bad round. I think there's a couple guys that fit into that boat for me this week as well. Is there is there a stat or two that can sort of – first of all, tell me those two guys in a second, but I had this other question loaded up. Uh, is there a stat or two that uh, you can sort of point to that can kind of justify variance and negative variance and say, well, you know, he did shoot poorly, but it's because of X, Y, and Z. Is there a stat that kind of shows maybe they're poor at putting or something like that? And also, who are those two guys you kind of referenced? Yep. So, okay, so I pulled up Hideki, for example, here. Right, so RBC Heritage, that's where he missed the cut, right? Lost. He was pretty much even on strokes, 0.2 strokes, T to green, but he lost five strokes putting. So basically he just couldn't make a putt to save his life, and that's why he missed the cut. And so that's the thing that I'm most likely to throw out the window. And the reason I say that is you think about golf, right? The – 80th best driver in the field isn't going to show up one week and outdrive Bryson DeChambeau. That's just not possible. But theoretically, the 80th best putter can have a weekend where they got hot with the putter and they're in the top five or the top 10 in strokes gained putting. So to me, it's the most volatile stat from week to week. And so that is why typically I like to focus on golfers that strike the ball well, do well tee to green, and struggle on the greens because you hit that one week where they do have a hot putter and you can really see them spike. It also leads to them just being a safer play overall because, yeah, if you might lose a stroke putting because you miss a putt, but that's not as bad as losing a ball into the woods off the tee or putting a ball in the water you want to guys that also avoid that double, triple bogey on a Thursday or Friday and then is essentially tough to come back from. So putting is the big thing that I would look at. You make a great point there. No matter how strong you may or may not be, like you're just, you can only drive it so far and that's that. You're not going to drive it faster than uh, Buff Byron, right? That's just not going to happen. But anybody yeah. on any given, uh, you know, 18 hole sample size, I suppose, can just get hot with a putter and, you know, be the best putter in the, you know, for that round. That makes a ton of sense to me. As somebody that knows nothing about golf, uh, you will, you explain that well. Uh, I have your article pulled up. Of course, we live in the world of a salary cap. We need some cheapies. we got to make these things work. We can't just roster the six best golfers in the board. Uh, of course, again, this article this week is free. Check it out on rotorrunners.com. Um, give me give me one of the uh, one or two that's kind of jumping out for you want to feature. Yeah, so we were just talking about having a short memory, right? And So let's take a look at Rory Sabatini because he was – absolutely horrible last week i think he went out i don't even remember what he shot but it wasn't even close he lost six strokes t to green five strokes on he was just horrible right just had a really really bad week and probably no one's going to want to play him now because he was awful last week and i'm not going to defend his performance last week it was atrocious but you look at the two weeks before he came 14th and 21st was gaining strokes tee to green, gaining strokes on approach, even gaining strokes putting. So that is an example of a golfer that is a pretty decent golfer long term. Just had one really, really awful week, but I'm willing to go back to 
and I think his ownership will be low. And, and this is the kind of play where I wouldn't be surprised if some of the higher stakes guys actually play him in cash too. So I think that's that's one thing I see with some of the guys that are playing in the higher stakes is that you you really see that they don't react at all to to one bad week here and there. And their roster constructions are often pretty different from the more of the general public cash game roster. So he's a hundred dollars cheaper than McNeely. I've heard some people throw the name out there, McNeely. Uh, who do you prefer amongst those two? I guess you prefer Sabatini, but have you heard McNeely have a thought on him? Yeah, I think McNeely is a fine play as well. I, I do prefer Sabatini. So the thing with McNeely, right? We take a look deeper at his stats here. He's a, He's a putting guy. So last week finished eight in the Rocket Mortgage, gained six and a half strokes putting. Week before that, lost four and a half strokes tee to green, but gained 3.8 strokes putting. So it while it is possible for someone to just legit be a good putter, like I it's obviously an important part of golf, right? And whoever wins any golf tournament, they're going to gain strokes putting. That's just has to happen. But again, it's about the predictability. And to me, it's the least predictable stat. So it's not necessarily the type, but you know, that said, I, I wrote up Hubbard in my article and he's another guy who has been playing solid and a lot of it has been through the putter. So it's not that I'm completely opposed. So those are actually guys that I'll target more in like a showdown type slate because the guys that can putt well can make a lot of birdies. They get a hot putter in one round, make a lot of birdies for low value. So McNeil is a guy that I find myself looking at in showdown more so than in the main slate. You uh, you featured six golfers, and the other one I was looking at was uh, Harold Varner. Uh, and you said the other thing about Varner is he's another guy who's just a good striker, <laughs> and he just can't putt yep. for whatever reason. And I like him because I, I saw him on Twitter. Somebody said to like, Somebody kind of said, hey, man, you, you screw my lineup here or whatever. He just, he's like, yeah, my bad. I tried my best. Like, he was super polite. And, like, you know, like, it's got to be the worst being an athlete and, like, having idiot DFS players, you know. And <laughs> just, like, you know, they're not trying they're not trying to tank your lineup. They're not even thinking about your lineup most likely. So, uh, yeah. Uh, but I was like, oh, this guy's nice. I like him. And I know he was super chalky last week. And is he going to be popular once again? And what are your thoughts? I guess uh, he's in the conversation for you, I suppose, as far as lineup construction. Barners on the board is one of your cheapies again. Yeah, you don't want to be that guy that's adding someone on Twitter for playing <laughs> bad golf. Please, let's let's not do that. You can at me for having bad picks, I guess. That's fine. <laughs> I can handle it. But let's leave the golfers alone. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I'm a big Varner guy, I think. Again, for the reasons I've said, I feel like a broken record. But a guy that strikes the golf ball really well. He's usually in that solid value range. He's a guy that that brings some safety, is a cut maker, but also has some upside and can find himself towards the top. Played him in both of my main lineups last week and is certainly in consideration for me again this week. I think 7500 on DraftKings is a very fair price for him. I think he, he's even kind of relatively cheaper on FanDuel. I think he's maybe 9200 People don't talk about Fanduel much i mean the contests aren't as big but i don't either I think, so is that should i be talking about it more but like i talk about dk because like you said uh the contest size is just distinctly bigger from what i can tell yeah oh. i kind of like that nobody talks about Fanduel because it's completely different the roster construction on Fanduel and the roster construction on DraftKings, at least in my opinion 
is very different. And FanDuel, just from the way it's priced, oftentimes leads to a much more stars and scrubs kind of approach because you can, I mean, you can make a FanDuel lineup if you wanted this week and you can put, you can literally put Justin Thomas, Patrick Cantlay, Xander Schaff, or Xander Matsuyama. You can put four of those top guys into one lineup on FanDuel. On DraftKings, that's literally not possible. So, yeah, but I think Varner's a nice mid-range value play there as well and something that, that uh, someone that I'm certainly took, taking a look at. I like Joel Damon as well. I think he's a good play in that mid-7K range. And then once you get below 7,500, I think there's there's a lot of options. And it's, re- it's really hard to decipher between some of these. I talked about Sabatini already, talked about Hubbard. Cameron Tringrail is another guy that I wrote up that is definitely not a sexy play by any means, but he's a cheap guy that just finds a way to make the cut. I think he's made 10 of his last 12 cuts, which is pretty solid for a value guy. And like I mentioned a bit earlier, I really try to, you know, I want to focus on the top end guys that I think are going to do well. And then, I just want bottom end guys that are not going to screw up my lineup basically. So if my top end guys perform and my low seven K guys can just make the cut, they don't need to come in the top 10 or the top 20. Again, you're not going to win the millionaire maker that way, but if you're playing a hundred man or 200, 500 tournament, you don't need all of your golfers to be in the top 10. You can have a guy that makes the cut and finishes 30th, 40th place. That's fine. As long as he's getting in those four rounds, and has that opportunity to make more birdies and add more DraftKings and FanDuel points over the course of the weekend. It's a great play. Uh, quick question. I did, I did pull us up away in the fly. The guy that was complaining to him, he had a 47 to one six pick parlay uh, and he had, he had them all winning except for Varner heads up against Redmond. So uh, Varner failed him and he said, Hey, you, you cost me a chunk of change uh, here. Big dog. I had faith in you. And then Varner responds, I apologize, brother. Uh, it wasn't because of lack of effort. Keep firing, though, the only way I know. Like, how nice is that? Like, you know, he doesn't have to do that. He just block that guy if he wants to. But, yeah, and this guy's out here trying to hit 47 to one parlays, and he was one player off. Um, yeah, so Great what response. are you going to do? <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, I like this guy. Uh, all right, <laughs> so Vegas, what do we have as far as uh, who's jumping out for us? We talked about it earlier. Earlier, biggest favorite right now is Justin Thomas. Uh, you like Cantley, I think. Okay, well, I guess I should ask you as well. Who do you like to win this bad boy? And from a Vegas perspective, from an odds perspective, who are you firing on? Where do you think there's some value? Yeah, if I was to just pick a winner outright, I, I would go with my guy, Patrick Cantley. Talked about him a little bit earlier, but he's one of my favorite golfers on tour. Just a really, really steady guy. I think he just has a lot of talent and just a really solid all-around game. So, Love him. His odds are a little short, but if I was to pick one of the guys up top, I, he, he would be where my money is. Justin Rose has a pretty good number. I think he was like 26 to one or something like that. He is. So, yeah. So he, if you take a look at Justin Rose, so, so one of the narratives around him is that coming back from the reset, he, I don't know all the details, but he switched his irons basically. So if you look at his, play from January to March prior to the shutdown. He went missed cut, 56th, missed cut, missed cut, playing horribly. So anytime 
you're going to look at his stats, they're going to be a bit skewed and not look that great because he had a really, really tough time at the beginning of this year. Now, over the break, switches irons or whatever, came back third at the Charles Schwab, 14th at the RBC Heritage, ends up missing the cut at the Travelers, but he went, I think he went like minus three, plus three. So since the restart, he's had one bad round and 10 good rounds. So I think he's someone that is in consideration for DFS. I think he's someone that is in consideration from a betting perspective. I mean, he used to be one of the best golfers in the world, right? He was right up there with the, the Tigers and the Phils, and it's certainly possible that we see him get back into that form. From some longer odds, guys, I wrote him up in my article as well, Ben on. So he, I have a problem. Just I, I love to play Ben on. He, he's, I think he's literally the second worst putter in this entire field. He is the extreme case of someone who hits the ball really well, but like literally can't putt. But two years ago, he took second at Memorial, which is the same course. I think he's like 75 to one. So if you're looking for a little bit of a longer shot, could throw him in the mix there. And then there's a guy that I saw some of the other Roto Grinder guys got me onto him. This Henrik Norlander. He's all the way down at 6,500 on DK. <laughs> Another guy I mentioned in my article, I think he's 150 to one or something like that. But his recent form is, is very strong. He came in 12th last week at the Rocket Mortgage, gaining eight strokes T to green, eight strokes on approach. Also made the cut at the Travelers. So he's like a little bit of a deep sleeper for me. Could kind of compare him to the Matthew Wolf situation, I guess. If you look at the 6Ks in DraftKings, he's, he's pretty much the one guy that sticks out to me. I don't usually go that low for main slate but he's in consideration and somebody's looking for a, a deep flyer. You could put him onto your betting card. All right. We're going to knock out the, uh, the tiers and we'll let, let you get out of here. I do want to ask you though, you, you did mention Fandle. I'm curious about this. Do you find, um, you find cash games to be softer on Fandle or, or just the same as far as uh, compared to DK for some reason in my head, I'm guessing they will be softer. Am I right in that inclination? Yes. Okay. <laughs> you get off my lawn. Don't tell the people. If I, if I had a, if I was someone who was, I don't know, had a hundred or 200 bucks to put into play every week and didn't want to do any more than that, I would probably just play all the $1, $2 games on FanDuel because I think that is probably where you're going to get your softest player pool. Yeah. And also, as I was saying, any content that is out there is very specific to DraftKings pricing. Mm -hmm. And so people just take that same knowledge and try to apply it to FanDuel. And in my opinion, it is not the same. Is the scoring the same? The scoring is pretty much the same. There's some differences. There's yeah. some differences. So there's a, there's a bonus for getting five birdies in a round. So okay. you get an extra, I think, four FanDuel points. And so that was actually something that I came to realize. So I talked about FanDuel roster construction typically being stars and scrubs build. But as we were having these really strong fields two, three weeks back, 
on courses that were playing really easy and guys were just making birdies like crazy, I actually came to the realization that a balance structure made more sense because if you could get six quality golfers that are making five or more birdies in a round on these easy courses, that was how to maximize your FanDuel points. So that's one, I think, nuance there. But for the most part, the scoring's the same. It's just the pricing is different. And you can more easily afford the studs than DraftKings. Yeah, one guy could be a great play on one site, not so much the other site, and vice versa. Uh, let's knock out these tiers. I'm entering the $5 single entry tier. Uh, Cantley, Rom, or Thomas, if I listened at all, I'm going to go with Cantley. Uh, tier let's number two. Uh, Kopka, Hovland, and Xander. We pick it amongst that bunch. What do we like? Oh, that's a tough one. Let's go with Xander in that one. These are my five American dollars, by the way. If you lose money in this, I will be tweeting you. Very angry. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, we have to play Xander after we spent a couple minutes talking about the pronunciation of his name. Now now you need to show some, some good faith. Uh, all right. Uh, let's see. Uh, oh, here's some names. Justin Rose, Leishman, M. Uh, is that Sanjay M? Morikawa and uh, Matsuyama. Who's jumping out for us? I like Rose and Matsuyama the most. I, I would say Matsuyama is probably my favorite in that bunch. Yeah. That's, a, that's an interesting tier, though. I think all those guys are pretty close. Yeah. We're not going to completely fill this out, but just if anybody, just give me a thought or two on any of these names that sort of jump out to you. Uh, Hadwin, Reed, uh, Luis Ustazen, did I pronounce that correctly? <laughs> yeah, Lu- Louis Ustazen. So he <laughs> is famous for being a withdrawal king. That's, oh, I don't like those guys. That's his. Him and Kevin Na are known as the guys that will tee it up on the first hole, hit their drive, and they say, "Okay, I'm withdrawing. Collect their paycheck and go home." So <laughs> never well, trust thought, Louis. Okay, explain this to me because I, it's my understanding. Maybe I'm wrong on this. Maybe it depends on the tournament. Uh, if you don't make the cut, you don't get paid. And some guys in the second round, if they're not doing well, um, they know they're not going to make the cut, so they just take off early. Is that not the case? Am I wrong on that? There, maybe there, there's probably a pay bump for making the cut, but you definitely get some sort of payment for just hitting one shot. There, there's literally okay. situations where guys have hit their tee shot, their first tee shot, and then withdrawn, which oh, I, mean, I think that's just a horrible human <laughs> thing to do in general. <laughs> That okay. That might be the one situation where you can at the golfer. You can tweet the guy. <laughs> yeah, you can tweet the guy for that one. <laughs> Just go to breakfast. Don't even bother, man. Just... <laughs> uh, all right. So we got the Reed, Hadwin, Kucher, Spath, and Fowler. A lot of big names that I'm aware of, but I guess these are some yeah. of the guys that have seen better days, also. Yeah, Reed's been struggling a bit, but he's a guy that always has upside. He he's great with the putter and great around the green, so he can. He can go low. I feel like he's a guy – I feel like he's somewhat of a boomer bust type guy. He's another guy that I, I tend to look at in showdowns because he can have some really low rounds. So I don't mind him in that tier. Hadwin might be the safest, but let's let's go with Reed for a little bit of upside for you here, Dean. All right, let's do it. Uh, tier 5, Woodland. Oh, this is Scheffler. Here you go. There's Scheffler. That's there a go. person. Fitzpatrick. Yeah, we got to take him, I suppose, right? Uh, Neiman, on Watson, Wolf, and Day. So yeah, there's your guy, Scotty Scheffler. So Scheffler last weekend went plus seven in the first round and then minus <laughs> seven in the second round. Yeah. So I think that nobody is going to play him, but I, I played him two or three weeks ago. 
I've heard some mixed reviews on him. Some people are really hating on him, but I know that there's other people that, that are high on him long-term. So let's go with the Schauffele-Scheffler combination here. I think that he'll be a nice low-owned guy for, for you here. Yeah, uh, well, I know who I'm picking here in Tier 6. I think we talked about him as well, but I'll throw the names out there. Uh, Phil, Snedeker, Connors, Horschel, Holter, uh, Barner, really good tweeter, and uh, Dahman, as well as McNeely. I know who I'm taking. You can just give me your thoughts. Maybe somebody that like that's kind of popped up organically that we haven't really mentioned. Uh, any that we haven't mentioned mm-hmm. Connors or Horschel or uh, Dahman. I think you kind of mentioned him in passing as well. Anybody sort of uh, any sort of notes that are worth worth passing along on those guys? Yeah, I mentioned Dahman in passing. I think he he's a, a solid play. Horschel's an interesting one. I think that if you look at Billy Horschel as a long-term golfer. I think that he's underpriced where he is right now, but he's been playing really poorly. But again, taking, taking that step back and thinking of like who, who's a good long-term golfer and, and kind of, you know, looking at a list of names, which golfer doesn't belong. I feel like Horschel has been in the eight K's plenty of times and now he's sitting around in the mid seven. So I think he's not a safe play, but viable as an option. Varner obviously talked about like him. Corey Connors is a guy that that's what we're talking about, right? Corey Connors. Did you mention him in that tier? Yeah, he's in the conversation. Yeah, I, yeah, I yeah. picked the way, but so, yeah, there was a Connors. He, I did not another, pick him for the record. He's, he's another classic guy that can't putt and is good ball striking. So not necessarily on him this week, but he's a guy that that is always on my radar and in contention. All right, TJ, I much appreciate your time. Thank you for talking me through this slate. Uh, final thoughts if you have any, and also let the people know where they can find you on Twitter. Let them know about your content this week. I know you're popping up in the expert survey as well. Uh, where, where can they find you? Yeah, Dan Bach tweeted out my article earlier and told people to follow me. So I've been getting getting Uh-oh. follow requests all day. I'm, I'm heating up about to, go, about to go viral. So, yeah, you can, <laughs> follow, you can follow me on Twitter at TJL5124DFS. That's usually where – I'm complaining about my golfers. I should probably complain less if more people are going to follow me, but that's just kind of what I like to do. I don't know. I think it's fun. It's all, it's always in good fun. And if you followed my Twitter, you'd probably think that I've never won at golf in my life because I, I'm not necessarily one to victory lap when things go well, but if things aren't going well, I'll, I'll make you sure. You got to learn knows. how to tout life, man. You're doing it the wrong I way. I know. I know. I've seen all the people posting all these screenshots and everything. I called uh, Byron, I man. Yeah, nobody else. I called that. um yeah so you'll find me in more of the content stuff going forward so doing my value rankings doing the expert survey i'll have my weekly value article breakdown that we talked about i'll be doing my monday lineup review with tambo that'll be free that we talked about so i think the monday one's going to be fun i think it really suits my style too I think given the way I play, I, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit hesitant about giving up so many plays because I, I don't want to give out like, Oh, here's the lineup that I want to play, but I really enjoy talking about it after the fact. So I'll walk through the lineup that I landed on. What was the two V two or the three V three that I was considering? Why did I decide to go the way that I went? So for anyone that's interested in the, the theory of DFS, I think hopefully it should be a pretty good show. 
the theory of DFS as opposed to like, here are the six plays. Yeah. So people yeah, just that's want what, that. But yeah, you want to learn. It's important to right. learn. <laughs> and yeah. that's that's why in my article, I'm, I tried to pick a variety of golfers too. Like, hey, if you want someone that putts well, you can look at this guy. If you want someone who's a safe play, you can look at this guy. If you want somebody who's more contrarian, here's an option. So it's not necessarily these are the definitive six best plays because I don't think anyone knows that. But it's like, here's the menu and whatever floats your boat, you can go with. So that's going to be my goal here. And like I said, I'll try to touch on my roster construction thoughts because I think that's important, not just for PGA, but just for being a DFS player in general. Just an update uh, for you. Uh, Dan, Dan Box retweet was just retweeted by Noto. So you're going to go oh, full baby. viral. They're going to come through. I'll have to check out my phone. <laughs> TJ, thanks for joining me. I appreciate it. I suspect <laughs> you'll be joining me going forward sometimes as well. So uh, uh, hopefully you crush this week. Hopefully uh, people out there that are listening crush it. I uh, will take your uh, advice as well, too, along with the RG content. And hopefully uh, I'm not playing the money maker. That's just not for me. I understand why people do it. I understand why you fire at it. You know, 20 bucks in a dream and a one million dollars, but the, I'll be firing out there in other contests. It'll be good times for sure. Uh, that said, that was TJ. I was Dean. This was golf. It was also the morning grind. We're out of here. Holler. Mm-hmm.